Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural episode of Real Bad, which could describe both the quality of this show and the title of the show. But we are the Breaking Bad podcast on the Enter the Real World podcasting network. I am Kevin Ford. With me is Jerome Kusan. And Jerome, I'm very excited to take your very first voyage into Breaking Bad with you as I'm kind of taking on an unusual role where I'll be the one who knocks slash knows the show as we dive into it. That would be that would have been the name of this podcast, but unfortunately it was taken by far better podcasts than I, so we had to scratch the bottom of the barrel for a name. And of course we went with a pun, because why wouldn't you go with a pun? You did tell me that you are not a fan of puns, though, because uh, we were talking about in our hiatus. I watched the Watchmen HBO show, as did you when you did a podcast with Ben Phillips on it. An excellent podcast, I should add. There was a great pun episode in there, and you mentioned that you don't really like puns. So, And this is your show title you came up with, so I'm a little surprised. I mean, it was kind of a first draft, and this is what happens when a first draft becomes a final draft. <laughs> right. It's uh, it's it was like a working title and then it's time to come out. and It's like, ah, we don't have anything better. This is what happens when you don't do this for a real job. Yeah. This is what happens when you get things like this is why things like Seaman are the name of a video game. Real job. Jeez, Kevin. I, yeah, I decided to let that one go. So we are going to be talking about Breaking Bad like we did with Veronica Mars. We'll be talking about one season per episode as well as the movie. Uh, we, I think we're going to break down one of the longer seasons into two chunks because that's how it aired too and it's intended to be digested that way. But today we are talking about the inaugural season of Breaking Bad. But before we get started, I always like to talk about our individual histories with the show. And for you, Jerome, I guess the question I have is what took you so long? I don't know. So I used to be a person who really did not watch a lot of TV shows, if you can believe that. And this is something that happened for a good portion of my life where I was not the type of person who could sit down every single Monday or Tuesday night to, to watch a show. Um, really, the uh, ironically, and you, you'll love this, Kevin, one of the few shows that I could really do that to was Monday Night Raw. But that that really was about it. I really was not the type of person to sit down I watch a lot of television on a weekly basis. And then things like Netflix, the DVDs started back when DVDs were a thing. And that is when I started getting into TV shows. And that's when I started watching things like The West Wing and Six Feet Under and Veronica Mars, as a matter of fact. So it's because of Netflix DVDs that I finally started getting into more television shows. And I think because of that, there are just certain shows that, that fell by the wayside. And at this point... Uh, Breaking Bad and Mad Men had just started. Uh, they were a couple of years into their runs. And I, I think we'll also get into kind of the backgrounds of both of these shows. But there was a point when Best Buy had a sale on the first season of Mad Men. It was like $10 for the DVDs. So I, I blind bought it and I started watching Mad Men. And that is the show that I ended up going with and started basically watching for realsies around season four and Breaking Bad just kind of got lost. Breaking Bad is also not the most fun thing in the world to watch on a consistent basis, given the subject matter and some of what was going on. So it's, it's kind of one of those shows that, that ultimately just fell by the wayside. And, you know, as things start to accumulate and by the end, you're looking at four seasons or five seasons and it's, and it's, it becomes a really intense watch. And again, Breaking Bad, 
Breaking Bad is not the type of show that I think you can binge watch. I think it's one of those shows that I'm going to have to really take my time and maybe watch one or two episodes at a time because there's just, number one, a lot going on. And again, it's not the most fun watch in the world. So I, my, my very short answer is that basically kind of got lost in the shuffle for me. Yeah, that's fair. This is kind of, I think, one of the shows recognized in the the new age of the golden age of television. So it's not like we were in the golden age and here this came along as another show to watch. It was like we didn't even know what we were in for yet when this came along. And it took me, I think, three seasons before I started watching it as it aired. And I went through Netflix on DVD and I watched those three seasons and then I can't remember if I watched season four week to week as it aired or like as I finished season three, season four had just come out in DVD and I got it then. Either way, watch it all. It's it's one of those shows that I've wanted to rewatch. And then um, for me, it always just takes like some event or something to kind of get me in the mood to do it. And then El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie came out on Netflix this fall. I had thought about rewatching at the time I was in the midst of some other like projects like the Veronica Mars stuff and, uh, and some other things that kind of prevented me from doing it. So it seemed natural that this is a show you were interested in. And I wanted to rewatch the series anyway, to get to the movie, which I have not watched. So, uh, here we are, we're, we're going through my rewatch your first time watching, and then we'll get to experience the Netflix movie at least together for the first time. Um, now my other question, as long as we're holding hands while we're watching the movie, that's acceptable to me. Yes, or we'll, we might have to do some FaceTime action or something. That's fine. You know, I guess the other question I have from you as someone who hasn't seen the show, but obviously it's a show that's incredibly hard to ignore with memes and the Internet in, in this day and age. So I want to know from you what you had heard about Breaking Bad and some of the preconceived notions you had coming into this show. I mean, Alan Sepinwall, who is a noted television critic, is basically called it one of the best shows to ever air on television. There were some end of decades lists that recently came out that did count Breaking Bad. So they were, if Breaking Bad was on the list, then it was obviously very high because of the nature of the show. And I think that that is kind of what I'm going in. So literally going in with the highest of expectations understanding that this is one of the this is well regarded as one of the greatest television shows of the decade perhaps even of the century so no pressure at all to meet a certain amount of expectations and i think you you hear the praise for aaron paul's performance you hear the praise for uh brian cranston's performance and i think those are the things uh that stick out in my mind and the fact that um, Vince Gilligan is well regarded as one of the best showrunners of this last 20 years. And the, you know, a couple of the directors are very well known and I'll probably get to that in, in future seasons, but, uh, Ryan Johnson, who is one of my favorite directors working right now is, uh, a director of a couple of the more famous and in one case, infamous episodes of the show. So for all those reasons, uh, I, it's, I think it's, it's just about time that I finally watched this show. I think it's an important part of the canon. I think so much of the visual language of the show has spread into other places. I think some of the intensity and some of the, just for better and for worse, I think a lot of the things that this show did have been copied by other shows. And I think for all those reasons, I think it's, it's very much, I think it's very important to watch this show and hopefully get into Better Call Saul as well. God, I hope so. I 
God, I love Better Call Saul. Again, I've watched it, so I don't really have any preconceived notions or anything like that because I've seen it all. But I will say, when this show started, I had never heard of Vince Gilligan. Now, my brother was a big X-Files fan when when we were kids, so he watched it. But I think I felt like it was probably too scary, so I didn't watch it all. It's definitely something I'd like to watch at least some of at some point. Um, and I know he he also did The Lone Gunman, the spinoff for the season that it was on. Uh, but really, aside from that, he did. <laughs> and I want to know if you're going to cover this in the superhero pantheon. But Hancock, the Will Smith movie, came out after the first season of Breaking Bad, which is uh, strange because I feel like those don't necessarily you don't think of one and the other. Is Hancock going to be something on the superhero pantheon that is covered? Yes, it will be. As a matter of fact, it's it's one of those movies that we've been putting off because I'll be honest, I don't think the movie's very good. And I think it's one of the reasons that we have not yet reviewed it. But as we are recording this, I recorded the episode covering the 2017 Power Rangers movie just a few days ago, which features Brian Cranston. So, yes, we are we are going to hit all of the favorite bacon, all of your favorite Breaking Bad stars will be featured on uh, superhero pantheon. I don't I don't think Aaron Paul has done any superhero movies, though. I would have to check his IMDb page, but I'm not sure either. The other thing I was surprised about Vince Gilligan was he wrote that movie Home Fries, the comedy with Drew Barrymore and Luke Wilson in 1998. So his writing is all over the place. If he's doing X-Files, Home Fries and Hancock, not to mention, of course, well, Breaking I Man. think it's one of those things where some screenwriters that they're, they're they become guns for hire because I don't know if you know this, but it's really expensive to live in Los Angeles. What? And sometimes you just need to write things for money. And I I don't want to presume because you ultimately just don't know. Perhaps Home Fries was a passion project. But I I get the feeling that he perhaps there's also the concept of script doctoring. Perhaps that that is that was his role. But he is he is obviously a very notable writer for from his time on the X-Files and kind of a parade of failed television shows even after breaking bad he's got a couple so this is this is kind of his shining light and uh my memories of vince gilligan are his uh very funny cameos on community yes so, i was gonna mention that so the one thing i will say is that i think i think the difference and i cannot help but always compare breaking bad and Mad Men, and we can get into the reasons why that is but Matthew Weiner has always fashioned himself as this auteur, this very uppity type of person, I think. And Vince Gilligan, he kind of seems like just kind of a dude, even though he has obviously created the show. But Vince Gilligan seems much more willing to laugh at himself. And I very much appreciate that. Yeah, he's he's a Richmond, Virginia native. He's from a school of arts, all that. So. Yeah, that's that's Vince Gilligan for you. But I will tell you, and I think the best way to cover the season is to kind of go with the characters, because this is really when I look back at this, like this is really getting the main players on the chessboard and delving into their background and characters. And of course, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman are the two main ones you're really going to learn about, but really more Walter White than anybody played by Brian Cranston. If you want to talk about preconceived notions, when Brian Cranston was put in this role, I think for me and most other people I knew, the only roles we'd ever seen Brian Cranston play was Tim Watley, the dentist on Seinfeld, and the father on Malcolm in the Middle. Neither roles which would make you think that this high school chemistry teacher turned meth dealer would be a role that Brian Cranston would be a part of. But I think this is a role 
that has kind of redefined a lot of people's opinions on him. And in some respects kind of was a, a, a career renaissance for him. And it's not to say he wasn't doing anything before that, but this was really, I think his breakout performance, which has scored him so much work and so much acclaim and so much uh, notoriety in the world of entertainment. It's, it's hard to think of this show without him. We talk about that with like Kristen Bell and Veronica Mars, but Brian Cranston goes from somebody where you raise an eyebrow at that casting choice to really owning the character of Walter White. And it's hard to imagine anybody else in that role. I cannot imagine anyone else playing this role, as you said. When I think of Brian Cranston, I think of someone who is very much a late bloomer. I think this, this is a guy who in 1993 was literally doing voiceover for Power Rangers villains. He wasn't even in the cast. He wasn't in any of the suits. He was literally doing voice work for the Power Rangers. So that, I think, just shows you perhaps the struggles that he has gone through as an actor. And, the, I mean, look, in Breaking Bad, in, in one of the first episodes, Walt is celebrating his 50th birthday. So this is not somebody who is a young man. And I think it is, it is represented by his performances even in the Power Rangers when he's playing Zordon, there is an intensity to his acting that I wonder if that is born out of the fact that he is such a late bloomer. Now, I've not seen a lot of Malcolm in the Middle, but even there, I, can, I see some of that, that intensity and the ferocity that he brings. I, didn't, I am not a Seinfeld person, so I did not see that performance. But in Breaking Bad and in everything I've ever seen Brian Cranston in, there is an intensity to his work that I really respect. And at times it can be uncomfortable to watch as well. And I think that's part of what makes Breaking Bad very hard to binge watch. But even if there were moments in the first season of Breaking Bad that were not great, and even if there were some aspects of the show that I don't think quite worked, it is so obvious to me why the show eventually grew into the success it was because of Brian Cranston and just his acting and going to another level. And there's so many examples of that. I think we can get into some of the individual scenes, but there are so many individual scenes where Brian Cranston just knocks it out of the park. I mean, there's probably, even in the weaker episodes, there's at least one scene where Brian Cranston just kills it and it almost atones for any of the other weaknesses that that that, that episode has. Yeah, and I think... More or less Breaking Bad is a lot about the transformation of Walter White, but even in season one from where he goes from at the beginning to the end. So let's talk a little bit about Walter White. Currently, he's a high school chemistry teacher at J.P. Wynn High School. And I don't know about you, Jerome, but for where I am, 10th grade was the grade in which everybody was in chemistry class. So there's never anybody who's like incredibly excited to take chemistry. It's like something you got to do. It's I thought chemistry was incredibly hard as a high schooler. Wasn't my cup of tea. I think you and I both can say we're more of the liberal arts types than we are the math and science types. Uh, don't think I'm speaking out of turn there. I have a great thing to say about about my chemistry teacher. Number one, my chemistry teacher was actually a lot of fun and is almost the antithesis of Walter White. The second fun fact about him, he was a priest because I went to a Catholic high school. Well, there you go. Only thing I remember about mine was I think I had his first year. He was very friendly. He was younger and I remember he was buff because like ever like people discover like you go to the gym before class and he's like you're kind of typical like a nerd looking archetype but just like just buff and you're like this is a strange like dichotomy between chemistry teacher who like goes to the gym to work out either way 
not my favorite subject in high school. Something I have appreciation for as an adult and find more interesting than I did in high school. But that's the kind of audience that Walter White is teaching to disinterested students, hormones raging. Uh, and it's something he's been doing for years and years. You find out he's the head of the science department. But the first like episode, especially of Breaking Bad, is framing Walter White as a loser. He's a high school chemistry teacher. He also has a second job working at a car wash uh, as a cash register who ends up having to do some washing of cars to make ends meet because his wife is at home. She's in labor with their second child. They have a younger child who has a cerebral palsy. Uh, so there's money problems at home. He's not respected by his students. You don't get the idea that he's necessarily the happiest being a high school teacher. I don't know that many people who get into science imagine themselves being high school teachers, but you just get this general sense that Walter White is somebody who doesn't have a life that is um, it's not a life that one would envy. Let's put it that way. It's obvious that he has had a few shattered dreams in his time, as we learned throughout the course of the season. And I think what the first episode does so well is the world building and just showing you the mundaneness of Walter White's world. I think that is so, so important to even showcase because I think it would be really easy to have kind of a lot of talking and a lot of dialogue. But I think in this episode, what makes it so good is the fact that they are showing and not telling you that Walter White's life is kind of crappy. I think that's that's such a difference that makes such a difference in the tone of the storytelling. And I think the fact that we are able to see it with the the shots and the facial expressions, I mean, I think that's that's one of the great things about the pilot is that it centers you in a really good place. And by the way, does not make Albuquerque a very good place to live. It, the portrayal of Albuquerque is something that is utterly fascinating to me because I feel like this show, because of the nature of it, changed the way that we perceive Albuquerque and it's kind of become this cool place to visit and tour and other TV shows have filmed there because of kind of the desert and the atmosphere and the fact that they get tax breaks. But in 2008... I don't think Albuquerque is a cool place. And Vince Gilligan does a great job of showing how uncool it is. I guess also part of why he is in the where he is in his life is because of his age and his location. There isn't much opportunities to to do much better than he is. And they also do a great job portraying that his and his wife's kind of sex life is not existent really at this time. And then what's the worst thing that can happen to somebody even in this position life? Like what can get them even lower than this? A cancer diagnosis. Walter White is diagnosed with stage 3A lung cancer. What that means is that it's lung cancer that includes large tumors that have spread to the nearby lymph nodes or tumors of any size that have spread to your lymph nodes that are, fur that are far away but are still on the same side of your body as where the cancer is. Uh, he has this persistent cough. It is in a stage where it is potentially curable, but it is more than likely fatal. And this is news that Walter gets at obviously a time of his life where everything else is kind of in the toilet and it has an interesting effect on him. It's this weird thing where with a bunch of other information he's taking in where this death sentence of sorts is almost sort of like a way for him to be freed in, in a way uh, because he has the because it's like, well, if my mortality is about to run out, it kind of freeze a lot of those other things that might be mentally keeping him pinned down. That's the way I kind of see it. 
Well, and it's worth noting that the, the, the name of the show, of course, is Breaking Bad. I don't, I don't get the impression that Walter White is a particularly good person anyway, even before he quote-unquote breaks bad. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't get the feeling that he has the best relationship with his wife or his son. So I'm not... <laughs> I was wondering, it's like, how, how much is he actually breaking bad? And... I, I I very much feel like the pilot kind of starts off very hot and heavy, and we one of the saddest things in the whole episode is the the sand hand hand job scene. Which <laughs> yes, it is uh it is very noteworthy to to talk about that because just everything about their relationship is just summed up in that in that very specific moment. Uh, the favorite, a, a great movie from last year, has another great sad hand job scene. I don't know if this one is better, but it is uh, it is definitely noteworthy. And I, I just don't think that Walter White is in a very good place mentally. And I think that when people make fun of the stereotype of the anti-hero, and especially because many of them have been white middle-aged characters, this is almost this is definitely one of those things that they point to as as a critique. And in tw- watching it with twenty twenty eyes, I think makes this a little bit more challenging to to appreciate, just because we've seen this done so many times. But I mean, again, I think Brian Cranston is so good at making this character feel real and making this character feel vulnerable that I think it's it still mostly works. And again, I think the credit has to go to Brian Cranston and uh, to some of the to some of the writing and to some of the directing in this pilot. Yeah, and I I wouldn't necessarily say I don't think he's a bad person before Breaking Bad, so to speak, but he's definitely somebody who I feel like has kind of given up. I think he thinks that a lot of his station in life maybe necessarily isn't his fault, nor does it seem like he has that much motivation to try to change it until this cancer diagnosis comes along. Like, I don't think he has a bad relationship with his son. I don't think he has a bad relationship with his wife, but he's also not putting in all the effort he could be into either. So... That's kind of my take on him going into this. And I guess we'll talk about his wife, Skylar White. Uh, She's a stay-at-home mom. She's pregnant with uh, their daughter, who we learn is going to be named Holly. I forget the actress's name. Do you happen to have Anna Gunn? Anna Gunn, yes. And she had done some other things before this, too, that I had maybe seen her in. But but this was definitely, like, the first time I, I had, you know, seen anything of her that I really remembered or that really stuck with me if I had seen her before anything beforehand. Like she seemed like more like a, like a one-time episode sort of like character actor in more respects before breaking bad. Um, I think she was on Deadwood. I think that was a big thing she did before breaking bad. Uh, but otherwise yes, she was I, I, on a, she was in a number of episodes and even the Deadwood movie that just came out in May. And I think she was just kind of more of a bit player on that show. I don't think I would ever consider her one of the main actors, but she's definitely done some noteworthy things. Yeah, she did the show Down the Shore in the early 90s. Never seen it. But I think it's safe to say that this is probably her biggest role to date at this point, especially when that's recurring in every episode character, at least in this season. Uh, what were your impressions of Skylar White in this season of the show? So I have a, I have, I have a good pendulum for these things because – when you think of the, the anti-hero, you think of their wives because their wives are often portrayed in, in a negative light and they're often very underserved in the writing. So I, I kind of have the, the, the positive end for me is Edie Falco in The Sopranos. She is so good. I think she may have even won an Emmy for that role. 
And even though she is the quote-unquote wife of Tony Soprano, she very much just kills it in every scene that she is in. And she is able to do so many things and has so much depth to her character. On the other hand, on the negative side of things, is Betty Draper, who is Don Draper's wife. And I think January Jones in that, in that particular role was kind of miscast, very poorly written. So, so I have this, this kind of this really good end and this really bad thing. And then there's, there's kind of right in the middle. And that's, that's where Skylar Wright for me is right now. And this is something we could check the pendulum every season, perhaps. But right now I kind of put Skylar Wright like right in the middle. I don't think she is quite as strong as Edie Falco. I don't think she is quite as as bad as Betty Draper. I think there are certain scenes where I think she does get to show some agency. I'm not necessarily a fan of some of the stuff with her sister Marie and the shoplifting, but I did appreciate the scene where she is in the back of the jeweler shop and she fakes contractions and gets out of that situation because that very much felt like something that Walter White perhaps would do as well in kind of BSing his way out of a situation. But in that particular case, we actually get to see Skylar do it. But then there are also there are also certain points when I think Skylar is written to be the nagging wife, and that is not something that I'm necessarily a fan of. And when I say nagging wife, I'm not saying that I think she's nagging because her husband is committing some very illegal acts. I'm just saying that that is the way that the the character is being portrayed, and I, I think Skylar overall is a mixed bag. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with her station in this and where she is in season one is obviously she's pregnant, so she can't do much physically anyways. I mean, the really only thing we see her do is she's selling off some items in their house to help with some of the extra money. Uh, She seems to be keeping their books, lots of bookkeeping with credit cards and whatnot. And that does come back a little bit later with, uh, with what her past profession was. And, of course, then she learns that her husband has cancer and she gets to really focus in on that. So she's been she's doing all the readings on on his cancer and treatment options and all these other things for Walter. And poor Skylar is met with either just disinterest or a modicum of feigned interest in these things. And she has to wonder what's going on in her husband's head. So she's got a lot to deal with on her own with this pregnancy. Then she gets this bomb dropped on him that her husband has cancer as they're preparing for this newborn to be put into their life. And thankfully <laughs> she gets, she gets some of her sexual needs met. Uh, fortunately that the hand job did not uh, do for, for her or Walt in the first episode. What an ending to that episode. And my goodness. Uh, well, you see Walter White was not feeling his manhood. And then because he was able to murder some people, he felt his manhood again. So there you go. That's, that's exactly, I mean, it's all right there in the text for you. Yeah, and like you said, this is it's a great show, but not tell. You have this moment of them in bed together, just total disinterest. Like she's on her laptop selling stuff or watching eBay bids, and she's more interested in that than she is giving her husband a hand job, which doesn't do anything for him. And at the end, just rough, just rough sex in the bed that just just this confidence that he gets back. Uh, and that's a, a hell of a way to end that first episode and really show you what these acts of what of of what is to become Walter White's new life is really giving him life. It's giving him purpose. It's it's bringing back his manhood, as you said. Uh, so very briefly, we'll talk about Walt Jr., the son of Walter and Skyler. He's a teenager. He attends the same high school that uh, Walt teaches at. Uh, his biggest character trait uh, that's obviously since he has cerebral palsy. The actor R.J. Mitty, who plays him, also has cerebral palsy. It is not as severe as what he portrays as Walt Jr., 
Uh, Walt Jr. does not have full use of his legs, so he has these uh, these arm like uh, like not crutches, but they're they attach to his arms that he uses them to walk. Uh, and and so that brings an awful dichotomy for him because he's a teenager who wants his freedom. He wants to to break out on his own and not necessarily be under the thumb of his parents anymore as a teenager. But there's only so much he can do because of his physical limitations. And he, of course, as the son of Walter, has to watch his dad get sick and go through all his pain, too. What were your thoughts in general on, on Walt Jr. in the show, in the season anyways? I really appreciated the fact that his character trait wasn't only that he had cerebral palsy. I think it would be very easy to just have that be his main character trait. I also appreciate the fact that they don't try to make him this this inspirational character who just drops these dimes of wisdom or this cliche salad of self-motivational BS. He never does that. And I give them a ton of credit for that. I think we see him be angry. We see him be spiteful toward his dad in in justifiable ways. We see him trying to get beer for him and his friends. We see all of these different things. And we understand that Walter White Jr. is not a perfect person. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that they have an actor who actually does have cerebral palsy. I think that's, that is a huge positive thing. And I, I very much respect what they were able to do with his character for all those reasons. Just like Skylar, I think he is underwritten. He does not get a lot to do because I think so much of the focus is on Walter and probably the character that we'll be talking about shortly. But I, I think there was some effort to make Walter White Jr. not just be one of these characters who, who has a disability that serves this very specific role, but that he wants his independence and he's not afraid to be a kind of an asshole. And I think that's I think that is a positive thing. Well, I don't know if Walt Jr. telling his dad, why don't you just go effing die already is necessarily the nicest thing he could have done. But I mean, it's not him being I'm not talking about him being nice. I'm just talking about him as as a character being interesting, I think, is more what I'm getting at. Definitely. And I actually think one of the more interesting things in the next character we'll talk about is he seems to be more interested in his uncle Hank than he is his own father at times. I guess he feels like he has more common or he's more listened to, or his uncle has more interest in him just because Walter in general isn't all that interested. And I think it's again, part of probably part of that where you're distancing yourself from your, from your real father as a teenager. Cause he's the uncool physics teacher that probably all of his friends know if they're attending the same high school as him. And so he's more attracted to his uncle who is a little more hip and somebody who I think he feels understands him more than his own dad does. Like when he when he gets caught trying to buy beer for his friends, he calls his uncle, not his dad. And even his uncle doesn't think that's cool. But I think his uncle at least understands because it sounds like Hank has more of your prototypical teenager experience and college experience than his dad does. And so I think that that probably makes him more relatable to him, too. But I think that's also an interesting character trait of Walt Jr., too. I think there's also some some masculinity issues perhaps going on. It's, I think Hank portrays the quote unquote masculine male much better than Walter White does. Are, are we going to have the marijuana conversation now? Uh, why don't we talk about this once we talk about Hank? Because I think that it very much fits in with his occupation. OK, let's so, do that. 
So Hank Schrader is the uncle of Walt Jr. He's the brother-in-law of Walter and Skyler. He's married to Marie Schrader, who is Skyler's sister. If you want to get really on the nose, he is a DEA uh, agent, a Drug Enforcement Administration agent. So wouldn't you know it, Jerome? It just so happens that Walter White's brother-in-law works for the DEA. How convenient. So the one thing I will say is that, yes, it is convenient. But one of the ways that Walter White becomes inspired to start this this whole meth deal is because he goes on a kind of a drive. He goes drives with his brother-in-law and his partner and that is what causes the inspiration so on the surface i think it reads as being really convenient but with it being the impetus for why walter white decides to try what he's going to try and also the fact that it leads him to meeting jesse pink or meeting jesse pinkman again since he was once one of his students i think it actually works better in execution than it does on paper I agree completely. Yeah, it, it's definitely something that where you kind of roll your eyes when you first hear about it. Like, of course he is. But the way it's used here, and I can say going forward, it's it's used sparingly and very wisely. Uh, Hank is definitely, I guess, your more classic macho guy. Dean Norris, who plays him, is kind of this character actor. Like, if you go about his IMDb, it's always a military person, a SWAT person, a police person for pretty much the majority of his roles. Maybe he's a, a, a father here or there. Um he was in an episode of the X-Files, which is how I have to imagine him and Vince Gilligan first met. And now here he is in a full-time role. He's definitely has that thing where he throws out racial slurs to describe people. It's only, at least for now, it's only towards those who he arrests. So you can definitely tell as a DEA agent, he thinks less of all the people that he's arresting. He thinks nothing of the people who are drug dealers, drug users, junkies, he sees them as low lives. And it feels like it, his career is a conquest and something he takes an immense amount of pride in. That's how I read Hank Schrader. And that's why he uses such derogatory terms, terms towards uh, other racial groups and to a woman in a particularly uncomfortable scene with Walt Jr. Which I'm sure we'll get to. I think all you need to know about Hank is this, the intervention scene, which is probably if not the best scene, what, at least my favorite scene of the first season, because you learn so much about the characters through their dialogue. And even though it is, it is telling and they're talking, I think they're still doing a lot more showing because they're not being direct with their feelings. But Hank is one of those people who clearly has a lot of trouble with his feelings. And what ends up coming out of his mouth during this intervention is just a lot of cliches, a lot of surface level kind of things that you would say to somebody to to show that you care about them but they, th those words don't really mean anything and that is what comes out of Hank's mouth and it's really impressive to me that they were able to write that character to be so specific because the words that come out of Marie's mouth are are just they mean something even if Marie is disagreeing with with her sister it, the, there's so much that's said there and Skylar the what the, what he expresses and what Walter White Jr. expresses. But Hank just has nothing because he is not the type of person who is in touch with his emotions. And a lot of it probably has to do with his job and just being surrounded by the people that he is surrounded with because, you know, he's probably not only a macho person himself, but he's most likely surrounded by a lot of his male counterparts. For the most part, they're on long stakeouts and they're doing a lot of these long missions and 
there's probably not a lot of expression of feeling going on out there. So I am tremendously impressed with the way that they wrote Hank and just the consistency of that character. He, I think they have written him on purpose to be even more detestable in a way than Walter for, for reasons that will become clear as the show goes on. But I can't help but appreciate the fact that you take this character actor who is who has done cop and military roles and now you give him kind of the ultimate opportunity to, to showcase those skills in, a, in an atmosphere where he is going to develop as a character for five, six seasons. I think everything you said about him was great. And I think he's, he's somebody who is very, not only just not that emotional, but he's very on the surface. And I think you get a couple moments with Hank Jr. where he gets to show his emotions. But like you said, even in the moment with trying to confront Walt about getting treatment for his cancer, he's not able to be very eloquent in the way he, he talks to him. I think he takes his job very black and white. If you're a user or a junkie or a loser, and if you don't, you're not. And then outside of his job, he tries to be more relaxed, laid back, the life of the party type, uh, maybe using a little bit of co- colorful language. But I don't think like he means any harm I, to his family or anything. I think he cares deeply about them. I just think he's just a very on-the-surface kind of individual. Uh, and we'll see how that how that progresses as the show continues. Uh, yes, but yeah, and now we want we need to have the marijuana conversation. We can have the marijuana conversation. It is hilarious watching Breaking Bad through twenty twenty eyes because marijuana is so vilified by the DEA, by Skyler, by Marie, by by a lot of people. Because essentially, what happens is, is Skyler confronts Jesse, who is one of the ex students of Walter, who he helps cook meth with, and Walter lies and says that he was just buying marijuana from him this information kind of gets passed around and everyone seems just like so disgusted and it's a gateway drug. Like that's still a belief. And it's so funny thinking now it's legal in so many States, you know, or at least decriminalized and, and many others. And what's, what's boggles my mind the most is nobody talks about marijuana in the medicinal use for Walt's cancer. And I think about it. And I remember listening to an interview with somebody long ago and they talked about, and this is like in 2010, 2011. And even at that time, like hospitals and such were not allowed to talk about mar- medicinal marijuana as treatment for ailments that cancer causes unless specifically asked by a patient. So they couldn't bring it up unless a patient asked about it. So it's so interesting watching all of this go down when in 2020, it's really not that big of a deal anymore. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Basically, everybody on this first season of Breaking Bad is like Mr. Mackey from South Park, and they're saying drugs are bad and okay, and that is the extent to which you see a lot of the, the discussion about marijuana. It is, it is, it's almost bordering on parody, and I'd, I, I would love to know what Vince Gilligan's beliefs were on marijuana, whether he actually believed any of this in 2008, or if he was almost going for this exaggerated way of seeing marijuana, because the conversation has it's gone about 90 degrees. I'm not going to say 180. It's gone about 90 to 100 degrees because Kevin, so Illinois recently legalized marijuana. Now I, I do not expect you to know the name of the person because even I don't remember that guess the type of person who is the first person to buy marijuana in the state of Illinois. The type, like their occupation. Yeah. Guess, just guess their occupation. I'm going to say a policeman. It was not a policeman, but that is a very good guess. 
It was an elected official. I, an government elected, official was actually my first answer until I guessed. I was like, oh, maybe it's a police officer. It was an elected political official. That I mean, just think about that in 2008 versus 2020. In 2008, marijuana is talked about on this this groundbreaking television show is being so bad. And in 2020, an elected official is the first person to buy legalized marijuana in the state of Illinois. And it is slowly becoming more and more accepted. And it will probably be legalized in most states across the country. If I were to guess 20 to 30 years from now, Kevin, I, I will guess there will be more of a stigma eating meat than there is for smoking marijuana. Man, that's that's a... That's a bold prediction, but it's not one that I that you say that. And I'm like, man, that's a really radical take. It's possible in the state of Virginia where I am. I don't know exactly what its legal status is at this time. I don't think it's decriminalized even. But, you know, Illinois, I guess, especially Chicago, definitely more progressive than the majority of the state of Virginia anyways. So we'll see. You know, we'll we'll see. It, it. It's definitely something that I think within the next decade or so. Like we might be laughing at the conversation we're having now in 2020, listening back in 2030. And, you know, it's like it's going to be one of those things where like telling your kids that you had to listen to a song on a cassette tape when they're listening to stuff on, you know, Spotify or whatever. The same thing about like you had to buy marijuana illegally from some some random person that you happen to know and you had to share it with them before buying it. And it cost this much money. They're going to be like, I can just go to 7-Eleven and it's sitting there like on the counter. I suspect that's going to be the way it goes. But, yeah, that was definitely something you and I talked about or it was really it it made me laugh listening to how much they talked about like oh my god Walter smoking pot like when today who gives a shit and again he has cancer he could I, it's amazing to me that he wasn't even using that as like the rationale for like oh it helps with my symptoms my nausea blah 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 would medicinal marijuana help someone with lung cancer though that seems a little strange to me so it's so it's not to help treating the cancer itself it's to help with your symptoms. Uh, a lot of people, and I say this as someone who I did have, I did have cancer. I had a different type of cancer than this. A lot of people experience nausea or pain or some other things with, uh, with with chemotherapy. That marijuana helps to aid the 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 nausea and the and the pain and some other things. I've heard that too. I, I was just wondering because it would seem like that would almost exacerbate some of the coughing and whatnot, and perhaps that that's why. In this specific case, because it's lung cancer, that's the only reason I'm asking. Fair enough. I do wonder. So I do wonder that as well, if the smoking would definitely hurt. But but then you get into the conversation of edibles and some other methods of of marijuana intake that aren't necessarily just smoking it, too. But in 2008 in New Mexico, I'm not sure how progressive they were in that area either. So uh, I guess it's probably hard to ask much of that. Well, marijuana may the, the stigma around marijuana may be changing, but. Shoplifting is still illegal, right, Kevin? It is, and yes, that leaves us kind of our, our last main family member, Marie Schrader, sister of Skyler, sister-in-law to to Walter, the wife of Hank Schrader. Not a ton to say to her, aside from that. Uh, she does have this shoplifting storyline. A lot of her scenes are really conversational, her and Skyler, to kind of give us kind of an update on where her, her relationship, that being Skyler's relationship, is with Walt. Uh, but I do like the scene the intervention where they're trying to convince Walt to get treatment. And she ends up changing her mind and saying, you know, he's the one with the cancer. He's the one who gets to decide that brings a, a good fight between a verbal fight that is between Skylar and Marie. And then later her shoplifting tendencies, which, you know, it is what it is. I guess there's some intrigue to it because of her husband being a DEA agent. That's probably not frowned upon, but 
Marie is just a very annoying, very easy to not like character, despite having that one good scene in the show. What did you make of her? I did not like Marie at all. I think she, I think a lot of it is in the writing. I don't necessarily blame the performer in this specific case, but she just comes off as being very superficial throughout. There is a strong disconnect between what her character does for an occupation and who she is as a person, as she is a medical professional. Do they ever say what she is a doctor of? I feel like they didn't in this season. I I want to say she's maybe like a like I think a pediatrician maybe. I'm not exactly sure. I can look it up real that quick. That is so weird to me because I just I don't see the connection between those things. I think the one time that I do see that connection is in that intervention scene because I have heard doctors in in podcasting and written articles how they will often talk about not doing the treatments that they recommend to their patients because they know the pain and some of the difficulties that come with these different treatments. So very often the doctors are recommending something that they themselves will probably never ever do because of, of because of what they've seen. So I okay. Think so that- to, to interrupt, she is a radiologic technologist at a radiology center. So she probably so she even mentions like I see patients come in all the time. So she's doing a lot of medical scanning and X-rays, probably CAT scans and PET scans, which cancer patients get. I did. Uh, so she does, I guess, have you know experience dealing with families and patients who are dealing with this. So she would have that 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 insight at least. So yeah, and I and I very much appreciated that. Um, what I what I don't appreciate is kind of the shoplifting stuff because it feels like they're trying to tack on all of this drama onto the show, and I don't think that it necessarily needs that. And I I am hopeful that the shoplifting storyline is going somewhere. I don't want you to tell me one way or the other whether it does or not, because I I want to find out for myself, even if I'm disappointed with the answer. But for me, the shoplifting, it just feels tacked on. And I don't know, the, the moment at the birthday party when she talks about not aging for 20 years, I would almost rather they just say she's a plastic surgeon than to, to have her be a, a, radio, a, tech, a technician, because that would at least make the superficial parts of hers make sense. She just does not come across like a doctor. I mean... I know that's a really terrible thing and kind of almost stereotypical thing to say, but she never comes across that way except for that one scene. You want to talk about things that seem a little hand fist or too convenient. This is maybe more of that than Hank's profession where you have to have it for this one particular scene. But you're right. What you'd expect from a doctor to be sort of a more upstanding moral human being. You do not know. Maybe someone even with with decent bedside manner is not something you get from Marie Schrader whatsoever. Definitely not. And it's it's really unfortunate because given her background, I think there was potential. Again, when you're watching it with 2020 eyes, I think things change. And I, I almost wonder if this show was lacking in female writers. And that is one of the reasons that Skylar and Marie kind of both suffer from kind of the same fate. I, I wonder how much better it would be if the show were starting today as opposed to starting 12 years ago. Well, one would hope better for sure. I can say that of the seven episodes of this season, only one was written by a woman and that same episode was directed by a woman. And that was a gray matter. One of maybe my favorite episode of the whole season. Yes, we've gone 50 minutes and we have not talked about Aaron Paul. 
We have not. And that's and he is next on my list. Aaron Paul plays Jesse Pinkman. He is a former high school student of Walter's. When Walter does go on that drive along with uh, with his brother uh, as a DEA agent, he sees him crawling out of a window to escape this whole meth lab. And eventually Walt comes to him. And so here's where Walt is mentally. So he needs money. He he possibly has this disease that is fatal. Uh, it also it also is worth mentioning that he quits his job at the uh, car wash place. It's another one of those symptoms of him really not giving an F after he gets this diagnosis and he's sick of his boss and tells him to F off. But he needs money to potentially leave behind for his family in case he croaks. And so his plan was with Jesse Pinkman, who has now lost his partner in helping cook meth to use his chemistry background to help create crystal meth. Jesse would be the one to sell it. He would be the one to create it. Well, Walt makes what turns out to be by far the best product on the market. Everyone's impressed by it. Sellers, users of all types. Uh, And Jesse is the one who he himself has a lot of problems. Very clear. He is either a high school dropout uh, or got his degree and did nothing with it. Uh, He's on the outs from his parents who 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 obviously his drug stuff has kept them out of his lives, but he at least is a homeowner. And I guess through circumstance, he finds no other choice but to team up with Walt, which creates some really fun scenes and just a, a, a very odd couple situation with Jesse Pinkman. I guess just general thoughts on, on Jesse and especially the him and Walt getting together. So I have a question. You will probably know this. Was Jesse Pinkman not supposed to be killed at either the end of the pilot or the end of the first season. Is that true? That is a rumor I have heard. It is something that I I want to say it was even confirmed. And I'm not sure exactly what happened. Maybe it was that. And, and this is something that I'll, I'll try to research and come back to in season two. Uh, it's something that I think either his performance was so good or uh, that Vince Gilligan changed his mind or something else happened where Vince Gilligan changed his mind. So, uh, but the, I've, I forgot about that. That was definitely something I had heard and I will try to have an answer when we come back in season two, or you can, uh, give us a tweet at Jerome. Uh, what is your, I don't even remember what your handle is these days on Twitter at Jerome C 1985. You're at K413. See, I remember my podcast partner's Twitter handles. Well, you've had like three different Twitter handles, I think. So I forget. I got to hide from the mob, Kevin. That's what I got to do with my I understand. Life. But that is that is an excellent question and something I wish I had researched coming in here. So I promise I will try to have an answer next time or just tweet at us. I like giving audience homework is something I've decided. So we don't have to do the work. Right. We can be as lazy as we want to be just watching all of these episodes and enjoying them and passively critiquing uh, Vince Gilligan's writing and then have everybody else do the do the rest of the work for us. Yeah. That's and, and like I, a good and idea. I, and obviously I think the the success of the show depends on the relationship between Walt and Jesse, which is crazy to think that Jesse possibly was going to be killed after the first season. But I think Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul have tremendous chemistry together. No pun intended through this, through this season. And Aaron Paul just does a great job of sort of extrapolating some of the, the character development of Walter to the audience as well. Walter White is the engine that makes the show run. Jesse Pinkman is the heart and soul of this operation. I don't think that this show can possibly function as well as it does without Jesse Pinkman because the family members have almost no role in 
the main plot of the show. You don't see Walter White Jr. interacting with the drugs or Skyler or Marie or Hank. But you do see Jesse and Walter. This is kind of going to be the fundamental. They're going to be work wives for the remainder of the show. And if it doesn't work, then the show doesn't work. And again, I think season one is certainly not without its flaws as far as the way they write the female characters. I think some of the plotting is a bit on the clunky side. But what makes it work is Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul as Jesse Pig. I think Aaron Paul is so good. I think whereas Brian Cranston brings a lot of intensity, Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul brings in a certain amount of innocence. Even when he is using slurs, even when he is being a bad person, there is an innocence to that character that we just so don't we simply don't get from Walter White. And I think that it is best exemplified by the scene when we see Jesse Pinkman go into his room and he is looking at some of his past pictures. Now, the impression that I get in combination with that scene and a scene where they are where he is cooking meth with a partner is he sees himself as kind of an artist. And I think the fact that the pictures look really good, I think it's supposed to indicate that. And the fact that he tries to cook meth himself without Walter White. And even though the meth is apparently 90% of what Walter, Walter was doing, that he was dissatisfied. And mm-hmm. I think what you see in Jesse Pinkman is that he wants to be this perfect artist. And that may be one of the reasons that he turned to drugs because he can't, can't handle that and he can't live with himself in that way. And I would imagine living in Albuquerque is not the most accepting place of that kind of behavior. So perhaps that is, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things there, but whereas with Walter, I don't get the impression that Walter is a particularly good person, but I think we see flashes. We see these moments of Jesse Pinkman actually being a human being and trying to, to be better. Uh, The scene with his brother, when he has the joint and He basically eats it. He sacrifices himself and getting kicked out so that his brother does not get in trouble for having a joint. And then when his brother asks for the joint, he puts it out, which there's, there's a lot to be said, but regardless of what your position on marijuana is, 10, 11 year olds, they should not be smoking marijuana regardless of, because there's some brain development issues that can ensue from that. So I think we see Jesse Pinkman, we see his innocence and I think we see him, trying to be a good person, even though he is a drug dealer, which very much contrasts with how Hank sees drug dealers. Well, I mean, it was skunk weed anyway, so he was doing his brother a favor. Right, because that matters. It does matter. Yes, he's definitely an artist, which is hilarious to me, because when Walter comes around and he looks at his his operation and does that, it's something that he, as like a, a junkie and somebody who sells this stuff, uses art, but it's not until Walt uses science to create this incredible drug that he realizes what true art is. And then again, he tries to do it on himself after learning all this stuff, using all the real equipment, but he still can't get it right. And even if it's probably a trillion times better than the product he was selling when he was doing with his previous partner, now he's been introduced to the real pinnacle of art in the meth community. And that's, he has to get that back again. It even cleans himself up a little bit because uh, he's not using the drug that they're making anymore. He's he's kind of getting more on Walt's side. We're like, this is a business venture. We need to sell it. He does have, of course, a lot of scumbag friends who he's around with. And I think 
by comparison, he looks better with the two that I that are notable. And the fact that I remember they do come back is Skinny Pete and Badger. Uh, Badger, I recognize as a small character actor of The Office, too. He's very humorous. But yes, obviously, this show is based around their relationship. And I think they have incredible on-screen chemistry together. Uh, and it only gets better from here. Well, I'll talk about two other things. Two other kind of sets of characters that are smaller. We get introduced to Elliot Schwartz and his wife, Gretchen Schwartz. This is really when you get kind of a, a peek into what Walt's life could have been. Elliot is a former partner of his who has made tons of money off of an idea that was both his and Walter's. And they have this extravagant birthday party where they're, he's getting like homemade guitars from I, f- I forget who the artist was like Sting or whoever else. But they were college roommates, and Elliot still holds Walt and their research in very high regard. Uh, He learns through Skyler about his cancer treatment, and first he offers him a job and then to pay for his entire treatment. And this is where you also get a sense of what Walter's life could have been, but that Walter has a great sense and pride, doesn't want the financial help, even though he's later called by Gretchen, Elliot's wife, and encouraged Walt to do it. And it's heavily alluded that they have a romantic past. So this is a good look into Walter's past, what his life could have been and the sense of pride he feels and maybe why he turns to drugs because, Hey, you might as well cook meth and make your own money rather than borrow it from your rich friend. Right, Jerome? I mean, I guess, I guess that's what makes sense. I think one of the things I wanted to talk about at the top and I should have done this is breaking bad is a uniquely American story. This is not something I think where it would even play in a lot of other countries because most other first world countries have healthcare. And I would especially imagine for a teacher that the idea of them having to pay 50 or $90,000 or whatever the amount was for the treatment, I would imagine that that, that just simply would not happen. So I think that's part of what makes, that's part of what makes the show so unique. And I think that there are people who look at Walter White and have this perception of him as being cool and that, oh, he's doing the right thing and he's sticking up for people everywhere. For me, I just think the idea of that, that those are the same people who probably think that Rick and Morty are people that you can aspire to be. And I know, Kevin, that you have not watched Rick and Morty, but you do not want to aspire to be those people. You do not want to aspire to be Walter White because... If you look at Walter White in this season alone, he makes a lot of really poor decisions. And I think the idea, I think you can still watch and enjoy the show. But for me, there there has never been a point when I'm quote unquote rooting for Walter White. I think I'm almost doing it more for Jesse Pinkman, but I'm definitely not doing it for Walter White. Because even in this first season, he's just making very poor choices with himself. Not just with the drugs, but with the way that he talks to his wife and his interactions with Elliot and Gretchen. And I, I understand that there is, there is the pride factor that, that exists, but at, at a certain point, I mean, I, I never get the impression that there was any malice that was involved in the relationship, at least at this point in however many years it's been. So I think th- those are the kinds of things that are going through my mind as I'm watching this show that, that yes, Walter White is, he is an interesting character. He is, I think, somebody that is worth exploring. But the two things that we should never lose track of as we are watching this, and I think it kind of has been, is that this is, again, a uniquely American story because of the fact 
that his health care is so poor and it is directly tied to his job, which is a problem. And again, the other thing is that I think viewing him as as the ultimate protagonist, I, I think, is a problem. There was a meme I saw the other day that was like a long list of characters. It was like, men, if you covet these characters, you miss the point. And it was like Walter White, Rorschach from Watchmen, Brad Pitt's character from Fight Club, like this long list. So Walter White is not alone. And like if this is a character you think is a hero or someone to aspire to be, you miss the point. But yes, definitely that case. As for the Uniquely American show, I can speak from my own experience. I am very fortunate that I had health care through my entire cancer treatments and cycles and all that other stuff. So I did have to pay some out of pocket, but fortunately it was never devastating for me to have to pay any of that stuff. But I did get to see what my bills were pre-insurance and my very first hospital stay after I was diagnosed and did my first round of chemo was about two weeks. It may have been like 13 days technically. And what it would have cost for me to pay for that stay without insurance would have been over double my entire annual salary. So to have to go through that without insurance is something I can't even fathom. I'd still be paying for it today without some sort of loan or significant help from friends and family. But just seeing those numbers in person is jaw dropping. And so, yes, uh, if you are overseas and don't have to deal with these kind of things or don't understand why we have to go such extreme lengths to pay for these kind of things, uh, there's a little insight uh, to exactly why that is the case. Can you imagine the version of Breaking Bad that takes place in like Sweden or something where he gets diagnosed? It's like, oh, your treatment begins such and such and everything's all right. <laughs> and then the show, produced the show by Vince Gilligan. Lasts, and the show lasts like 35 minutes. Yeah. And then the rest of the show is just him sadly being with his wife and son. Right. It's like it's, you know, you have those like what if Home Alone happened in modern times? It's like you just send a text. Oh, no, we'll be right there. And then it's over. Just a quick shout out. Not this is a big character or anything, but uh, Hugo Archuleta is the janitor that is ends up being wrongfully accused of cooking meth. Um, what happens is that Hank and his partners, his his main partner, by the way, is Steve Gomez. You'll see him, another fellow DEA agent with with Hank again. They find one of the masks, like the hazmat masks that Walt borrows from his school's lab, and they trace it back to that lab where they end up. Turns out all the equipment Walt was using was taken from that lab. And uh, Hugo, the janitor, is wrongfully accused of being the one stealing it and cooking meth due to a background check of his that found he had a past. And he also they found a blunt in his truck. Obviously, there's a lot of guilt from Walt that Hugo is going to lose his job over this. But uh, what's Walt going to do? Um, and this is another scene because there's this meeting that is done with the principal and some of the, the police enforcement and uh, some of the teachers and parents and stuff about this. And as they're explaining all of this. Walt decides to kind of use sex as a weapon to distract Skylar from hearing a bunch of this stuff, like rubbing on her leg and and getting her in the mood so she's too distracted to even hear what's being said. That's one of those indications where like, oh, I don't know that this this Walt gentleman is uh, all he seems to be. Uh, and it sucks because Hugo, we saw him being really nice to Walt earlier because Walter is having some problems with nausea because of his chemotherapy. He's working, by the way, he's still working as a teacher doing all his chemo treatments, which I can't even fathom given how tired and how sick he is that he's able to do this. But like he's, he's puking very violently in the bathroom at school. And he goes like, don't worry about it, Mr. White. I'll clean it up. You have a class to teach. And now this poor guy's going to lose his job because of Walt. But all this to say, he's still letting Hugo take the fall and he's distracting his wife 
uh, using sex as a weapon to avoid hearing the whole complete story from law enforcement as to what's going down. What a what a disturbing scene that was. It's a clear power move, and I think just like Walter used it at the end of the first episode into the second, he is again using sex as as a as a power tool, so to speak, and. It is, uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to be watching out for. And he uses his power throughout this series a lot. And maybe this is just because I've become more familiar with grooming tactics, but I think you see a lot of grooming tactics throughout the relationship of Walter and Jesse. And I think there are times when he is very mentally, emotionally, and even sometimes physically abusive towards him. And then he has those moments where he's trying to butter him up and trying to earn his love and respect again. And I think that that is kind of represented by the fact that Jesse, if he does, he obviously does have his father, but I don't think he has a father figure. He doesn't have someone that he can connect to. And I think he sees Walter in a way, even though they kind of outwardly try to yell at each other and not admit love for each other. I think that there is kind of this, this fatherly bond that Jesse is looking for in Walter and Walter is, is taking advantage of that very clearly uh, with some of the, with some of his behavior. And that's definitely something that I'm going to be watching out for throughout the rest of the season is to, to continue watching Walter groom Jesse, because I have a feeling it's not something that's going to go away. That's probably a safe bet. So the last character to talk about is Tuco. He is the person that, Walt and Jesse end up selling their drug in wholesale to. He is a drug dealer himself. This is the first time you hear the nickname Heisenberg that Walter uses. He uses an alias with Juco. Probably a very wise thing to do. It has to be imagined that this name is taken by Werner Heisenberg, who was a German theoretical physicist, uh, also a pioneer of quantum mechanics. The big thing with him was his uncertainty pr- principle, which says it's impossible to know simultaneously the exact position and momentum of a particle. So it has a lot to do with uncertainty, which is a pretty big theme with Breaking Bad going forward. So definitely not a name just picked out of the air. Um, But I know that you were not the biggest fan of Tuco. So here's your platform to kind of give your thoughts on him. He is written to be a cartoon character. And I think when people talk about kind of the stereotypes of the way that Mexicans are portrayed on some of these shows, especially when they're in cartels or whatever, I mean, this is what they are talking about. Tuco is the physical manifestation of that. And I am really hopeful that he is not long for this world. Given it's breaking bad, I think I'm going to get my wish. But my problem is not with the performer. It's not even necessarily with the performance because I think he's doing the best that he can. I think a lot of it is in the writing and the fact that Tuco is just kind of, you know, he has, uh, you know, he flies off the handle and he's just a really bad guy. And, we see him be a bad guy to even the people that are below him. And we see him being mean to Jesse. And I think if if there's one thing, even in the fifth and sixth episode, we don't want to see Jesse in the hospital laid up. And that's exactly what happens to him. So I think that for the, the, the problem with Tuco is that he is just a stereotype and he's not, he's not a full character. And that's the biggest issue that I have with him because even if you're going to have your antagonist on the show, there is a way to give them humanity. And I guess I was surprised and disappointed by the fact that this show, which does try to give its characters some nuance and has done it in good ways with some of the family members, that just does not happen for Tuco at all. 
Yeah, he's introduced fairly late in season one, too, and it sort of ends with a cliffhanger with him, so you know he'll be back in season two. I will say this about Tuco and the and the villains of Breaking Bad in general. One, Tuco's last name is Salamanca. He is not the last Salamanca you will see in Breaking Bad. And number two, it's going to take a couple seasons to get to some real great villains, but man, oh man, are you going to get one of, I think, the best TV villains of all time coming up in Breaking Bad soon. So I'm very excited for you to continue watching and experience all of this. And that kind of ends my notes. That's really all the main characters. I think we've we've touched upon at least the key points of the plot. Is there any moments or episodes or anything in particular you wanted to mention? I think that, like I said, each episode has its moments. I think back to episode three, there's this moment when Walter White is coughing really badly and presumably he gets lightheaded, passes out, and then he wakes up and he throws this plate and a sandwich in the garbage. He is holding uh, one of the people that uh, they had tried to kill at the end of episode one. He's now holding the second person captive and there's this incredible scene where they exchange dialogue and there comes a point when Walter decides that he is going to go make another sandwich and possibly is even considering releasing this man. And then he goes back upstairs and looks at the plate that's in the garbage and puts it back together like a puzzle. And he realizes that this person has taken one of the pieces and is, is concealing it. And then when he goes uh, with the key and is about to unlock, then out comes the piece of plate and, Walter, in a in very grisly fashion, has to choke this this poor person uh, dead, and it's uh, it's a really harrowing scene because it's one of those moments where it makes you question: Who are you rooting for? Are you rooting for Walter White, who is the protagonist? I mean, this person is literally being held captive. Admittedly, not a good person because he's a drug dealer, but does he deserve to mm-hmm. basically be be tortured uh, for the one night that he was in the uh, in the RV and? Now he's being held captive. So that to me is a very notable scene. And probably I I would guess that this is one of the most iconic scenes in the entire show when Walter White with the bald head goes after Tuco and throws down a a bomb that he created and then walks out with the money. And I'm assuming that that's a really iconic moment from the show. So those are those are two scenes that really stick out for me. I do think a lot of moments of season one are uninhibiting Walter White. He even mentions that intervention as he feels like in his life, he doesn't get many, he doesn't get to make any choices. And this is something his, his, the status of his health, he's something he finally gets to make a choice, which, which by the way, he does decide by the end of the season that he's going to undergo treatment, which results in the hair loss in him deciding that he's going to shave his head ball to, to go ahead of it. That's a very common choice for a lot of people. Um, with cancers, when they when they start losing the hair, they decide I'm going to take control. I'm going to shave my head and make it my choice. Um, so that to me stuck out as something pretty significant. And he's going to keep that bald look. It, it, it's it's a big physical change for him too, and it definitely I think makes him look more menacing uh, in general. But also he, he you know he's he doesn't want to kill this guy. It takes episodes for him to finally decide to do it, and really it comes down to he makes this list of pros and cons, and the only major con is that he'll kill me and my family if if I let him go. So there is something in him where it, he's cooking meth to leave money behind for his family when he dies. He kills this guy because he's going to kill his family if he doesn't. So at least you can explain a way that supposedly a lot of his actions are for the benefit of his family. Now, 
There's nothing really admirable about cooking meth or killing somebody and all that stuff, but at least justify in your own brain, like, well, he he's in these situations, and I guess you could see why he made the choices that he did. But yeah, you see a lot of this awaken something in him and make him feel a little more, I don't want to say relaxed, but maybe that's the word I want to use, is, is he's starting to embrace Heisenberg in some respects. I think that's absolutely the case. And I think the realization that he comes to is that this makes him feel more alive and makes him feel like a man and that he is able to do things that he otherwise would not have been able to do. He is finally able to put his chemistry and his knowledge of chemistry to good use after it's probably been barren for a number of years. I am assuming that he is not able to kind of explore chemistry a great deal with a group of 10th graders uh, like he is in like he is with with dealing drugs and the fact that he even has kind of a mentee that he is able to kind of also teach. I'm sure that that plays into it as well. I know that, so season one has seven episodes, which is very atypical for this time period. I think at this time period, I don't think it would be necessarily as bizarre, but season, season one being seven episodes had to do with the writer's strike. Correct. I think that is right. Cause it came out in it, it, aired actually we are filming or filming we're recording spoiler we're pulling back the current on january 20th 2020 to the day the 12 year anniversary of when breaking bad season one premiered january 20th 2008 so i think that was right like literally right after the Riker stri- writer's strike had occurred so yeah i think it makes sense that this would only be seven episodes and i think it affects some of the pacing and probably created some of the issues. So I think in a lot of ways, this felt like kind of a season zero, kind of a prologue. And season two, it feels like, is where we're going to actually, that's where the show is actually going to start. Yeah, this this really, to me, was like a lot of setting the table. And, I, and of course, there were some big moments and stuff, and it was giving you really great insight into Walter White, especially with a little bit of backstory on Jesse Pinkman. Something else I also really liked was they showed in one episode the flashbacks where he's he's still in graduate school or getting his PhD and he's working with I want to say it was probably Gretchen at the time um, and he's younger and they're talking about like what encompasses a person uh, chemistry wise and you could see like he's happy he's full of life he's really fascinated by science and I, I think that's important not just because about the conversation about like you know what makes a person that comes down to like a you know, Gretchen says something about a soul is what makes a human and all this sort of stuff. But I also think it's important because it goes to show that he wasn't always a miserable person. He wasn't always this way. He was excited, vibrant, full of life, really into, uh, into science. And like you said, you're just, you're just regurgitating the same information over and over again, year after year to very disinterested students. So the prospect to put all of his knowledge into something like this definitely has to be very fulfilling for him. Um, so that's another continuous flashback scene that I thought was important to Walter. Cause it has to show him that it's not like he's always been this just curmudgeonly chemist guy. He used to be full of life and vibrant and very excited about the prospect. And I guess teaching or his station in life just kind of beat the love of it out of him. Yeah. I think that that flashback scene was very illuminating in that it showed us what Walter White was like with kind of a, kind of a borderline hippie hairstyle and the way that he was relating to Gretchen and the enthusiasm that you saw was very good. And hopefully we will 
kind of get more background because I'm very curious to know just how he ended up being a, a 10th grade chemistry teacher because it, it seems like quite a fall for him to just go from go from being in a position where he could have made lots of money for this company, not even ending up at a university, which is something that's referenced, but ends up at a random high school in Albuquerque. Right. And yeah, I, I thought that was also a great moment where he's at that party with his, his former colleague and some, and he says he's a teacher. They say, Oh, what university? And he, and he takes pause and you don't get to see the end of that conversation. But um, yeah, goes to, that's the world of academia for you. Right. Jerome. Which you and I both know very well. Oh yes. Yes. Titles and publications and research portfolios, all that stuff is uh, just one big dick measuring contest. I was literally about to say that. So we are on the same wavelength. Yep, absolutely. It's like we have some experience in this field or something. It's almost like we, we, we have, we both have, or are trying to go for master's degrees almost. And that's, uh, that's Breaking Bad season one for you. So what are your kind of final thoughts and just your, your opinion of Breaking Bad at this moment before we head into season two next month? There was a lot of very good positive things that I would have to say about the performances in particular that I think carry through some of the weaker elements. I think there are individual scenes that really stand out for me. It's really hard to say that there are individual episodes because I think so much of the show feels very serialized and... I think it's hard for me to remember individual episodes. And I think for those reasons, I don't think season one is, is if I were to give it a grade, I would probably say like a B possibly even a B plus, because like I said, I think there are a lot of very good things to say about it, but I, I, I feel like there is a lot more to come. It feels like having seven episodes again, just there really isn't a lot to get into with the plot and especially the way that it, ended up being plotted out. I mean, you have this incredible pilot and then it just feels like you're starting at this really high point, pun not intended. And then you're kind of getting to, into the lows of the middle of the season. And then you're kind of picking it back up again. And just when it's about to get really interesting, they have to take their season break. So I'll be very curious to see what my perceptions are of season two, because season one definitely has a lot to it. A lot of table setting, as you mentioned, I am very I'm very excited to get into season two, but season one, I definitely think is it's one of those things where I'm glad I was able to kind of watch it quickly because if, if this were a week to week situation, I'm not sure how engaged I would be in it. And perhaps that is a byproduct of the, of the binge watching model. But at this point, there were not a lot of people that were watching the show anyway. So I feel like I'm in familiar company. It'll be nice, like these seasons going forward. Now that we've kind of dug into the main characters we're introduced to, we can we can get more to the other characters introduced or kind of build upon the foundation here. And that's and like you said, this is a foundation. This is place setting. It even watching the first couple episodes, I'm like, ah, this isn't really the Breaking Bad I remember. And then when I got into the later episodes where they had more establishing shots, and you get some like longer, further away shots going on, I'm like, okay, this is starting to feel like the Breaking Bad I remember. So. Um, it, it evolves like it, it, it really, you, we talk about character changing, even the show, the feel, the vibe of it changes as we go along into it. And uh, I'm thrilled to take the ride with you once again. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this and I am, uh, I'm just about ready to commit to better call Saul. I'm oh, very baby. Close. And you haven't even met him yet. That's coming next, next month. That's going to be very exciting. So, uh, 
the first Tuesday of the month, you will get to hear our thoughts on Breaking Bad for the rest of the year. And I just want to do some house cleaning, a couple things, Kevin. Number one, it, it appears as though there will not be a Veronica Mars season five, perhaps even ever. So I think we can consider that a completed project. And what you know, it, Kevin, we announced that we're going to be doing our Breaking Bad podcast. And they announced that the final season, AMC has renewed Better Call Saul for a sixth and final season. So we may be able to complete this project next year as well. Right. We're, I mean, there's going to be a heck of hiatus between episodes. But yeah, look, man, like I love, 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 love Better Call Saul. So I'm committed to going through it. I'm really excited there's a, a season. I'm also a little bit relieved that it's like, this is the sixth and the final one because you don't have to continuously wait. Like, is it going to come back? Are they going to make another one? Now we know. Now they can finish it out in a hopefully very satisfying way. Uh, and yes, that's all very good news. As for Veronica Mars, you and I were kind of split on whether there should be, even be a next season. I'm OK with it not coming back from season five, if that's the case. But again, if they do come back with a season five, I'll watch it. But it's not something that I'm hoping and praying was going to happen every night I go to bed. I, I want to say something about The Good Place, but you have not watched it, so I'm not going to say anything. Yes. All I'm going to say is it was delightful to read about Kristen Bell and the fact that she apparently went with her friends to go smoke weed and watch the movie Cats. Delightful. <laughs> Very nice. We'll get into our plugs here because we have a lot of other stuff going here on on uh, Enter the Real World. Like we mentioned, we've got the Veronica Mars podcast, which may or may not be a completed project, but let's just say it is. So you can go back and listen to all those episodes. We treat it the same way as we did here. One episode per season coming out once per month. Uh, my friend Ben Lundy and I did the entire series of Lost. And that, because it's so dense, we did two episodes of the series per podcast episode. Even talked about the video game, the ARG, and a bunch of other stuff. That is also a completed project, but many, many, many more episodes. So you can check that out in the archives. And currently a show I have going on here is called Flooping the Pig. It is an Adventure Time podcast. What is currently going on twice a week right now at Enter the Real World is on Mondays and Thursdays, an older episode of the show where myself, Justin Houston, and Bragaroon cover four episodes of Adventure Time are going up there. And once we get caught up with our archive, we're going to finally complete it, cover seasons seven, eight, nine, and 10. And then whenever the HBO Max uh, episodes come out, we'll cover those as well. But you can get caught up on the archives right now, two episodes per week of Flooping the Pig covering Adventure Time. And uh, I already dropped my Twitter, so I'm not going to do that again. Jerome, what do you have? Uh, if you would like to go check out some of my writing, you can do so at Enter the Real World. I wrote 3,000 words on Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Kevin, can you believe it? Yes, I can. Your Twitter's basically been more than that for the past month or so. Well, it's funny. I've seen Rise of Skywalker once, and it feels like that movie has just completely evaporated from my head at this point. I also ranked all the movies I saw in 2019, all 104 of them. Kevin, how many of, how many of those have you seen of the 104 that I've seen? I think I've only seen like two dozen movies this year. So I would say well, I've probably seen that and that's about it. Well, Kevin, you should go see Parasite. If you've not seen Parasite, that is that is the one movie that you should go out of your way to see. But it's scary. It's not scary. Are you scared of the subtitles? Is that it? No, actually, I'm in saw. Um, oh, gosh, what's his name? The animator who does like uh, the Studio Ghibli stuff. I saw the Wind Rise in theaters and preferred the subtitles. So, yeah, subtitles do not scare me. Black and white does not scare me. Who has told you that Parasite is a horror movie? Because it definitely isn't. 
I feel like everything I've heard about it is that it's a scary movie. It's not. It's it's a thriller. It's a farce. It's not a horror movie. Mm, okay. Yeah, then maybe I'll watch it. I want to see that in the lighthouse too. Yeah, you're gonna love the lighthouse. I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about <laughs> it, but not not appropriate for this podcast. So yes, go, go read my writing. Uh, you can go listen to my other podcast, the superhero, the superhero pantheon, which I do with Brian, and we are in the midst of talking about Brian Cranston related material, the Power Rangers. So that's that's relevant, and we will be reviewing Birds of Prey. Next week, as a matter of fact, we will be re- we will be discussing that movie starring Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and Ewan McGregor and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I'm very excited to do that. I DC is uh, kind of on an upswing right now. And it's really fascinating to me because it feels like Marvel's in kind of a lull. And between Joker winning a lot of awards, whether you think they deserve it or not, and Birds of Prey and the upcoming Wonder Woman... It's a, it's a great time to be a DC fan. Get back to me when you're going to cover the Birds of Prey TV series. There is there is no possible way we are we will do that. Really, the one season on the WB from 2002. I bet it's better than the movie. Are you nuts? I mean, listen. I'm just saying, if you're going to cover all this stuff and then just ignore one season of television, that's uh, that's that. I don't know. I don't know how I feel uh, about the that. only the only season of television that we are going to evaluate for the Pantheon is Watchmen. Okay. That's worthwhile. Yes. We are not going to go through all eight seasons of Arrow and six seasons of Flash and seven seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There are certain shows that we'll pick and choose, Watchmen being one of them, but otherwise, we're not going to be reviewing a lot of TV. That works for me. Well, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the first episode of Real Bad here on the Enter the Real World Network. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next month to cover season two of Breaking Bad. Uh, you mentioned this show evolving. Does this mean Gabe Sapolsky's involved? Thank God, no. 